Look, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeff Wilson, uh, and welcome um, for attending our uh, a shareholder update. <clears throat> this is for WAM Global. Uh, WGB um, is the ASX code. Um, you've got myself as chairman of WAM Global and the investment team here today. And, I mean, we're here to report to you. you know, you're the shareholders of the company. Um, we can only do what we love doing, and that's investing in the market. And, and with WAM Global, obviously, investing in all the undervalued growth companies we can find on a global basis. Uh, and we can do that because um, you allow us and you support us. So, now we're here reporting to you. Um, we've got, you know, Katrina Burns, who's the lead portfolio manager um, of the team at WAM Global, Nick Healy, uh, portfolio manager, and, and William Liu, who's one of our analysts at, the, uh, um, at WAM Global, who will be talking to you a little later on uh, and, and really you know, trying to give you an idea of what their view is on, of the market um, over the next six to 12 months and also telling you, you know, some of their, you know, probably their little gems in terms of you know, what they see as great buying opportunities uh, in, in the global markets. In terms of WAM Global, you, know, you look over the last, um, well, the, the six-month period, and that's what we're here to talking about, the six-month period to December and reporting to you on that, uh, WAM Global did have a, a very, very solid um, period. Um, the, you, you've seen the share price um, is approaching NTA. You know, I, I'm very convinced it'll trade at a premium to NTA in the very near future. Um, but we're very pleased. And you look at the total shareholder return over the six-month period was a little over 30%. That's the share price uh, and dividends over that period. The investment portfolio was up 15.5%, uh, and, that, and that well and truly outperformed uh, you know, the MSCI uh, index in, in Australian dollars. And you, obviously, uh, as shareholders, you've seen the increase in dividend uh, you, you know that we're focused on providing a growing stream of fully frank dividends to our shareholders. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why listed investment companies uh, have really been um, you know, strongly supported by self-managed super funds. Uh, there was a great article um, a couple of days ago on the back page of the Financial Review, uh, Shanticleer, really you know, talking about you know, the great opportunity there is in listed investment companies here in Australia. What I might do is I, I might um, yeah, pass over to Katrina now. And, and Katrina, can I just ask you? Can you can you just probably take us through um, you know, the last six months? Obviously, a, a very challenging period, but congratulations for you and the team in terms of how well you've performed. And then after you give us probably looking back at the last six months, if you could then just talk a little bit about the you know, going forward, you know, the next six months, and the opportunities. Um, or, or how you see the you know, the markets performing going forward. So, Katrina, if I can just pass over to you now. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, yes, look, it really has been a historic um, 2020, and 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 the last six months continued, um, you know, with with some volatility, etc. Um, through 2020, we had the the fastest bear market. We had a, a, an extremely strong recovery out the other side. But I'd say, as a general team, uh, I'm very pleased with the team, uh, both the WAM Global team and and how the broader investment team really worked together. 
Um, in terms of our team, uh, Nick Healy, who's uh, next to me, um, a bit of an update there. He has been promoted to portfolio manager recently. Nick's been with me since the inception um, of the fund, done an, an incredible job. Uh, and, and so has been recently promoted. I've also got, um, as you said, William Liu with me, who's an equity analyst in the team and also doing a really great job. And you'll hear from both of them um, a little later on. So very pleased with the team. Um, I'm pleased with the, the performance of the fund as well. Um, we really, you know, stuck to the investment process through, through, through what was a very volatile, volatile period. Um, when I think back over 2020, there was sort of three phases um, in my mind in terms of what we did with the did with the portfolio. As COVID hit, the so sort of phase one for us was really focusing on those COVID beneficiaries. Um, we we thought we thought about the stocks that were going to win um, short term in terms of um, we added a more defensive tilt to the portfolio. We added names, you know, in supermarkets, discount retailers in the gaming space, in toys uh, and, you know, home delivery companies, et cetera, uh, and really tilted the portfolio initially that way as we sort of dealt with the, with the news around COVID. Then in phase two, we started to think a bit longer term in terms of what were the structural trends that COVID had accelerated uh, and what were the companies that were really going to benefit um, as we took a bit of a longer longer term view and some of the trends that we really focused on um, were that transition to the cloud, to e-commerce, um, to, to a higher health level of healthcare spend that we think will will uh, happen going forward, and, and other themes like the digitization of payments uh, and automation. And, and we had a number of stocks in those sort of areas pre-COVID, um, but we increased the weightings in those stocks uh, and really... Um, had you know acknowledged that some of the trends that were already underway were really accelerating, and then as we got through um, further into 2020 calendar year, uh, we started thinking more about in you know a sort of phase three of our thinking was okay, uh, we are longer longer into this um, you know pandemic, we are seeing. Um, a lot more vaccine work being done. We hadn't yet had the announcement around vaccines, but we started thinking more along, well, okay, as we come out the other side uh, of the pandemic, what stocks uh, should should have been hit? But actually, when we look at the businesses, uh, have actually come out with fundamentally better industry positions. Uh, in a lot of cases, the businesses we started concentrating on um, had taken out a lot of costs and so structurally um, can potentially earn better margins as we come through the other side. So these were the COVID losers, um, but really with a quality tilt in terms of businesses that had maintained strong industry positions um, and had strengthened the business, their business propositions out the other side. And we started to continue to tilt more towards these sort of businesses. So yeah, we've sort of we sort of went through three phases. Um, in November, we had the announcement around uh, the vaccines, uh, and we've seen the market really move towards these sort of these sort of names. Um, obviously, there are still you know rolling lockdowns across various parts parts of the world, um, but the vaccine rollouts are occurring. Um, and so, yeah, that really was how we sort of thought about the last, you know, 12 months um, and in particular how we transitioned in the last six. To your second yeah. question. Yeah, going forward, yeah. Around the outlook. The crystal uh, ball. How, how clear is your crystal ball? That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, generally, we're we're very constructive on on markets. We we think the backdrop um, is very is, is relatively positive. You know, we've got fiscal um, very supportive um, fiscal uh, policy stimulus continuing to work to come through in various um, geographies around the world. Very supportive central banks, and then as I said, the, we have the vaccine and it is rolling out, and so we expect. Um, economic uh, growth to pick up as we go through uh, the rest of uh, 2021 uh, and as the pandemic eventually starts to, to wind down. Um, so, so generally, with the backdrop, we're, we're pretty con that with that backdrop, we're pretty constructive um, on equities. Uh, if I look through the various geographies around the world, um, you know, there are obviously some nuances in the US in particular. We've had um, Biden elected, and so in terms of the, the policies he's he's talked about, you know, he's very um, optimistic into and, and pushing through stimulus. He's announced a $1.9 trillion package. Um, he's He should be much less erratic in terms of foreign policy. So there, that's on the positive. On the negative, we may have corporate taxes that, that start to go up, um, but we still uh, have a very supportive um, central bank in the, in the, in the form of um, Jerome Powell at, at the Fed, um, who reconfirmed that that stance? Um, la, you know, last week. Uh, if we if we think about Europe, they've had uh, been hit again at the latter half of last last uh, calendar year with with more cases of COVID, had more lockdowns. But when we talk to companies on the ground, the lockdowns have been nowhere near as um, devastating and, and um, severe in terms of actual businesses. And most businesses have largely been able to work through uh, the lockdowns. Um, so the, the effect on economic growth isn't nearly as, as harsh as, as obviously that first round uh, of lockdowns. And, and we are seeing the cases starting to roll over um, I think that the latest stats are in the UK um, with the rollout of the vaccine are pretty impressive. They're about 16% um, uh, in terms of um, six, every, 16 in every of every 100 uh, residents have now received at least one dose um, of, of the vaccine. Um, Europe's had some, uh, obviously, some, some issues in terms of rolling it out, but we think that they will get there. And then when we look at Asia, um, it's a mixed picture. We've got China, who was first in and are coming um, and came first out in terms of um, recovery. Have had an extremely um, effective track and trace program. Um, whereas in Japan, um, they're still getting the vaccine approved. They've had a third wave of, of coronavirus and are still um, in lockdown. So it's a bit more of a mixed picture. Um, but we certainly see that the vaccine is rolling out. And, and generally, as we look at the outlook, a pretty positive with ample support, um, with consumption set, you know, holding up well and with businesses starting to, to reinvest um, in terms of the portfolio, we think we've got a great portfolio of, of undervalued growth stocks um, that, that come from various parts of parts of the world. So we're generally pretty optimistic. Look, thanks, Katrina. I know you're just talking about um, about obviously the COVID you know, problems globally and how they're addressing them. And you know, you're talking about the vaccines and it's sort of when you were talking about that and you, you're talking about the UK, you know, we can't but think of yeah, you know, how sad it is. I know, I know there's been you know, half a million people die nearly in the US, and you know, globally it's you know, it, it's it's shocking. But yeah, you know, someone that's been in our sort of you know, 
in our minds was you know, Captain Tom Moore, you know, the fact that in the last couple of days you know, he, he came to that, you know, to COVID. And, you know, just when you're talking about the UK, that, that, that's, that's immediately flashed into my mind. I thought how, how exceptionally sad. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, looking at investment opportunities, um, the, like, who, who wants to start in terms of, you know, I mean, if you, could you each give us a, a stock and you know what what you're seeing and, and and why I mean Nick do we do we start with you yeah thanks Jeff yeah yeah great idea I'll, I'll kick off and, and I'll give a, a couple of stocks um, so I, I think we've all seen the rise of like the the gluten-free options and the low carb options the better for you options in, in shops and supermarkets over the last few years uh, so it really comes as no surprise that the nutritional snacking category is growing really well it's grown at eight percent per annum over the last decade. Um, and when we zoom out on that, we see that the nutritional snacking category in the US remains less than a tenth the size of the traditional snacking category, which is over $100 billion. So our view is this is a really attractive space that should continue to grow well, um, and we think it should continue to do so for a number of years. So we want to be invested in that in the fund, and we think we've found a good way to do that by holding simply good foods, uh, Simply Good Foods are, they have two best in class brands in Quest and Atkins, through which they sell better for you bars, shakes, and other products. And as I mentioned, while we think the category will grow 8%, we're pretty confident that Simply Good Foods will outgrow the category, driven particularly by their Quest brand, which we think can grow double digits um, with really good e commerce opportunities and future product innovation. Importantly to our process, we, we like the management team. The CEO and his team come with a, a very good pedigree from large CPG companies, um, consumer packaged goods companies. And over the last few days, years, they've done a great job. They've um, taken market share. They've uh, done some really good product innovation. And generally, just on a day-to-day -day basis, they've, they've really run the business very well. And yet, when we look at Simply Foods, um, it, it grows a lot faster than a lot of CPG companies, but it trades in line with some really well-known large companies like Nestle and Lint. So we think we have found a really good undervalued growth company that fits our process. And the catalyst here is just that as the US economy opens up, as gyms gradually open up, mobility returns, we think there's a, a good suite of earnings beats coming through to drive the stock. So that's the first. Uh, the second I'd like to run you through today is Carrier. They do um, air conditioning, refrigeration, and fire and security products. In fact, they're the number one US air conditioning company, and they're the number one global transportation refrigeration company. So they're really well positioned. Yet when we look at the name, it trades at over a 30% discount to other peers like Daikin, Train, and Lennox. Why is that? Well, Carrier just spun out of UTC last year. And what we tend to see with spinouts is for a good period of time, investors don't really know about them or they don't have confidence that the company is as good or better than peers. So spinouts start tend to start weak, but then perform really well from there. Aussie investors will know that from Coles being spun out from West Farmers and uh, Recall being spun out, spun out from Brambles. So um, our catalyst to owning this name is that we, we like management team. They've done a really good job in 2020. They've taken market share. They've cut 
costs from the business and they've reinvested them into um, product innovation. So we see margin upside. And generally, as the company continues to perform well, we see investors coming to re-rate the name in, in line with peers. Um, and yet, at the same time, it, it's a great space. It's, it's high quality and it should grow well. So we see a compounding of the underlying value. So that's a, a couple of stocks from me. I might turn over to Will to give a few more. Yeah, sure. Um, the stock I want to talk to you about today is called CVS Group, and it's a small cap name in our global portfolio. So CVS Group is the second largest veterinary services provider in the UK, and they have roughly 8.5% market share. So we like the business because it's, it's exposed to a number of structural growth opportunities that we like, including the increasing ownership of pets and also the increasing annual spend of pet care. If we look at when we initiated the position, our channel check suggested that pet ownership and pet demand in the UK was at all-time highs. We saw breedership prices for puppies and kittens more than doubling, and we also saw inquiries for adopting cats for kittens and puppies at all-time highs. This is a really favourable backdrop for us. In terms of why we like CVS Group, we think this increased pet population is an attractive growth category. So on an organic basis, we think CVS Group can grow its top line at 9% per annum. Further, the industry is also undergoing consolidation. So the top five pet care providers have roughly 45% market share, and we expect this to continue to move upwards. CVS Group, as a, one of the leaders in this space, is well positioned to continue to take market share, and its balance sheet is in a great position to make additional accretive acquisitions. Finally, the third point is actually quite interesting. The business has faced a number of cost pressures over the last two or three years. We think some of those pressures are now easing. So the biggest expense line for a vet's business is actually for its employees. And for CVS Group, that makes up roughly 50% of its cost base. Over the last two or three years, there's been a significant shortage of vets in the UK. And this has led to material salary inflation but also the increased use of part-time workers, which are a lot more expensive. Our view and our work shows that some of these pressures are now easing. So we're starting to see vet vacancy rates goes down as vets become easier to hire. We're also starting to see some of the university programs in London um, attract higher graduate intakes. So what this means is that CVS Group is well set up in terms of improving its profitability and its margins going forward. Overall, we really like the quality of CVS Group. It's a great, high-quality business with a great management team. We like the fact that because it's small, it's relatively undercovered and less known, and we think that provides us with a great opportunity. The catalyst from here is just the earnings upgrades, which we think the market is underappreciating. So that's one of our small, small cap positions in the global portfolio, and we think that's a really interesting opportunity going forward. Um, if I could talk about another name, um, the one I'd like to talk about is Komatsu, which is quite a different name to CVS Group. So Komatsu is a Japanese original equipment manufacturer for the construction, mining, and utilities industries. Its closest comparable is Caterpillar, which some of our investors may know and is listed in the US. So as Katrina mentioned earlier on the call, we think the market is poised for a cyclical recovery in 2021 we're starting to see some early indications of positive signs. We've seen a run-up in commodity prices, including iron ore, gold, and copper. We're also starting to see construction and mining equipment utilisation back to pre-pandemic levels. 
Finally, if we look at company commentary on the CapEx outlook, on the margin is becoming more constructive. So as a result, we think that sets up a favorable operating environment as we look forward into the 2021. So we think Komatsu is a great way to play this recovery. Komatsu is a global leader in automation, which is still in its infancy stages. If we look at some of the Aussie names, including BHP and Rio, they've talked about automating their mine sites and automating a lot of their trucks. And that's because there's huge productivity advantages, there's better safety records, and also it lowers their cost of production. So we think Komatsu is a key beneficiary of this trend. In fact, Komatsu was actually one of the first to introduce an unmanned dump truck in 2008. It has a best-in-class automated haulage fleet management system and also has an excellent safety record, which is pivotal in this space. As a result, we think automation is in its infancy stages and Komatsu is well-positioned going forward. The other reason that we like Komatsu is that it has a number of self-help initiatives. So the company is streamlining its product lineup. It's also got a huge cost out program, 24 billion yen by 2024, and it's improving its free cash flow generation. So as a result, we think the market is underappreciating the earnings recovery for Komatsu. We think as the catalyst for this name will be earnings beats. And as this, as this happens, we believe the share price will continue to grind higher. So they're, they're two interesting names for me, CBS Group and Komatsu. Thanks, Will. Um, and a couple, a couple of extras from, from me. Um, the first is Internet, Intercontinental Exchange or ICE. Uh, so they're a global market infrastructure player. Um, they operate exchanges, uh, clearing houses, and, and act as an information services, services provider. So part exchange, part data business. Now, this is a business that has had 14 consecutive years of growth and uh, average uh, CAGR, so EPS growth of 17% over that period. Um, and we think the two parts of the businesses are both very high quality, but because they're combined into one, uh, the market doesn't um, give them the value for the, both, for the two businesses. Um, and so there's an opportunity. Uh, when, so what we liked about it, firstly, we like exchange businesses. We've owned a number of them in the fund um, and continue to continue to own them. Um, what we like about ICE, you know, they're the owner, um, for example, of the of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, they have a they are, they are have market leading positions in in various commodities, um, including uh, in, in the oil market in in Brent in the Brent space. Um, and and what we have seen in terms of exchanges and why they're such brilliant businesses um, is that there's extremely high barriers to, to entry given the network effects of liquidity and netting on margin um, requirements. They had tend to have very, very, um, um, very much fixed costs. And so for any additional volumes that you put onto an exchange, um, they come in at very high incremental um, margins. The other part of the business is the data side. And, and this is where we think ICE doesn't tend to get um, credit for the quality of the of the business. This is uh, a very high recurring, uh, has very high recurring revenues uh, and very solid solid growth. Um, and when you when you look at data businesses that are split out from from uh, in, that are trading by by themselves on the market, they tend to trade at very high premiums. So when we look at the sum of the parts valuation of ICE and look at the valuation, if you ascribed a PML peer multiple uh, to their data business and then look at what you're getting at 
get what you are paying for the exchange business, um, you're getting you're getting a very discounted asset. We think that this combination of the quality of the business and the ongoing growth um, will over time start to be recognised. In exchanges in general, you're seeing a, a significant trend towards off-exchange to on-exchange driven by regulatory requirements. So there's a nice thematic driver there. And ICE have done an interesting acquisition in the form of Ellie May, which gives them entry into that mortgage space, which we think is a very interesting growth driver as we look out into the future. So for us, we think um, the market isn't appreciate, appreciating the value of the two businesses when, when they look at them in a combined structure. Uh, but we think that as they continue to deliver on growth over time, um, that we and that as they continue to beat expectations in terms of when we look at analyst forecasts and if they do additional M&A, that value will be realised. The second stock I'll, I'd, talk, I'd like to talk about is uh, Electronic Arts. So that's a, a video gaming business. Uh, it has uh, such titles as FIFA, Madden, uh, Battlefield, Apex Legends. Um, and even pre-COVID, the industry was growing about 8%. You had China and mobile growing 20% plus. So very favourable um, growth drivers. And then when you, looked at, you look at what happened with COVID, you had a significant increase in players and also in user engagement. What's interesting about the video gaming industry is that you've seen the, the revenue models transition over time. So um, you, you tended in the past to have these big releases and then you had to wait to generate, um, you know, these big releases and then they were a huge driver of revenue and then you had a bit of a hole and then you, as you introduced a new game, like a blockbuster movie release, um, you had to wait for these as the revenue, significant revenue drivers. The, the revenue models of these businesses have, have changed over time and increasingly you see recurring revenues generated by live services, which really um means that there's much more consistency in terms of the revenue and the earnings generated. You've also seen the video gaming industry over time transition from much more from physical um, to more digital downloads, and that's significantly margin enhancing um, for the video gaming players. What is also interesting about the industry, there are relatively high barriers to entry in terms of big game releases. So, yes, at the margin on those smaller games and mobile games, it's not very hard to, to you know, come up with a new game. But at that big end of town, there's only a very few small uh, number of players um, who have very high-quality titles. Uh, and so it, the barriers to entry remain high at the big end of town. Now, the management team we rate, it's actually got an Australian uh, CEO, Andrew Wilson, um, who is very well credentialed in the industry and has a great team around him. Uh, part of the reason why we're getting an opportunity, we've got, we, you know, realised we had an opportunity in EA is they did have some execution issues um, a couple of years ago. And we think the market has unduly permanently penalised them for, for some of those issues. We think they've resolved those um, and they're executing very well right now. We think the worries are overdone in terms of that COVID is rolling off and they're going to see a big earnings hole. We think that the, they have a really strong pipeline of, of games coming out. We think that physical to digital transition is still going on uh, and, and the rollout of live services continues. Um, so we, 
And then lastly, we think there's some optionality actually around industry structure. It's not in our base case, but the value of content, whether that's in, you know, TV content um, as per Netflix purchases, et cetera, um, or in, in the gaming industry has been highlighted. We saw Microsoft acquire Bethesda uh, for $7.5 billion. Uh, and so we think, look, there is some optionality around potential other M&A, um, but obviously not needed for our base case. We think the stock's valuation um, is extremely compelling, even you know without that as uh, without that being needed. Uh, and so that's a that's a stock stock that we like. Fan fantastic, Katrina, uh, Nick, and William. Look, thanks. We've really got a yeah, a good group of stocks there. I mean, to me. A lot of our shareholders, they come along you know, to see us and they want to get a view of the market and then a couple of stocks, but you're giving it a six there. And you know, I can relate to some of them, obviously, being being gluten-free, you know, uh, simply foods. And then I'm sure Mark Taylor can relate to Carrier, even though he's in a different group, but um, you know, from the air conditioning perspective. Then, of course, you know, in the Continental Exchange, you know, We've, we've spent years talking to people like we, you want to buy a dollar of assets as cheaply as possible. Uh, if you can buy them for 80 cents or less, and uh, um, Katrina's telling us about sort of the, the great value there. And then, you know, finishing off with electronic arts, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the gaming, Katrina, I remember how, how you made me look good a couple of years ago at the same conference in Melbourne. And I, I, you know, you, I, we were looking for a stock to select, and that's, you know, when... We're all a bit down in the, you know, down in the mouth about what was happening in Australia, and it looked as though, um, you know, franking the whole franking credit si system was going to change under Labor, uh, and so you know, as a protest, I refused to pick an Australian stock, and I said, "What's your best um, global pick?" And yourself and Nick, you know, said Bandai Namco, and obviously in in the gaming space, and I was while you're doing your presentation, I quickly looked at the chart, and I thought, "Oh well." That's pretty good. You know, it's, it's close to its record highs, and you know, from when you know we selected it for Sion, it's you know, it's up close to a hundred percent. So, um, you know, that, that's that's a great you know, group of uh, stocks you've given us there. And look, thank you um, very much. What I'll do now, um, let, let me um, pass over to James McNamara, you know, head of corporate affairs. And he can um, he can take you through the various questions that people have, shareholders have put in. So thank you, and also any questions that shareholders um, are, are doing are sending in now to the to webinar. So I'll pass over to James. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jeff, and thank you, Katrina, Nick, and Will. We've got 330 shareholders on the webinar, so we'll start with the questions coming in on that line. The first is for you, Katrina. And it's from Phil. How will a Democratic president affect the US equity market and Wham Global's US holdings? Thank you. And thanks, thanks for the question. Uh, so in terms of um, Biden and a Democratic presidency, uh, look, we are generally pretty positive on, on what it means um, for, for equity markets. Um, clearly, in the run-up to, to the election, there was uh, a lot of policies being, being thrown out there. Um, 
even on the, you know, including on the Democratic side, that we're potentially, you know, not great, going to produce not great outcomes um, for for uh, equity markets and certain stocks within within the market. Um, but we think with how the um, seats have landed um, and and with Biden getting in rather than um, Sanders or Warren. Some of those more extreme policies, you know, really got taken taken off the table, um, particularly in area, areas like healthcare. Um, so, in terms of what Biden has said, he's very supportive in terms of additional fiscal stimulus, um, and and we think, you know, that's that will continue to support consumption and and help the economy work through um, the tra you know the transition um, as we as we come out of out of COVID. Um, so on the fiscal side, it's supportive. He's talked about infrastructure programs. So we'll see what come what comes there. Um, and and we do have some exposure to some stocks there that that would benefit if they don't need it, but it'd be a nice kicker um, if if there is more announced in in the in the uh, in the infrastructure space. Uh, in terms of um, the taxes, the the biggest risk around what he's what he's said in terms of policies is around corporate taxes. Um, we had Trump tax, take the US corporate tax rate down from 35% to 21. Uh, and Biden is talking about taking it back up to, to 28%. Uh, so it's a really a balance in terms of when we're looking at the individual companies there, in terms of how much of their earnings are from the US versus offshore, because a lot of the companies that we own that are listed in the US actually have very diversified global um, global earnings. So it's a bit nuanced in terms of the effect that a tax, corporate tax right, uh, increase might have. Uh, in terms of um, other main benefits, we think is really the, the main benefit is really around foreign policy and uh, a presidency not going to be run via, via Twitter. Um, so it was... A, yeah, it's clearly been a very volatile um, couple of years, last couple of years, particularly as the trade wars kicked off um, under Trump. And, and we saw, you know, tweets moving markets. And, and we think, you know, with Biden, that is not what we expect to happen. Um, and so we think that's going to be the main positive uh, and, and actually an extremely um, significant posit positive um, that we won't have that erratic foreign policy and that hopefully um, it's, you know, it's more considered. Um, you're not waking up in the morning to find that something dramatic has been changed and et cetera. Um, so, yeah, look, I think in, in the main um, we're, we're positive in, ter in terms of Biden and a democratic um, government being, being in place. Uh, and and in terms of the the stocks with, that we own, we think they're they're well placed to to benefit under this this environment. Yeah, and James, just just to add on that, one of the interesting things is you know, on the statistical side, since the inauguration, obviously we just had Biden as inauguration the other day. Um, since uh, 1900, when um, was it uh, Theodore Roosevelt? Roosevelt, he was inaugurated in uh, September 1901. Since that period, under a democratic uh, leader, the market on average. Now, this isn't including the dividend yield; it's just the the uh, the actual index has gone up on average 6.7 percent. Under a Republican, yeah, the market on average has gone up 3.7 percent. So, in theory, uh, you're getting a an 80 percent better uh, result in theory from a, a democratic uh, president than a um, 
other than a Republican. But they're, they're, hey, they're statistics, and we, we all know statistics. Statistics they're good when they work, and and they can lie. So um, that's just a, another thought. Thanks, James. Thanks, Katrina, and thanks, Jeff. Staying on that theme in terms of uh, the optimistic outlook you have for global equities, how is that translating to uh, how you're working with your cash levels? That question is, uh, is from a, a, a few, um, specifically Margaret, but, hey. but a few people are asking about those, the cash levels. Sure. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, so, yes, in terms of um, the cash levels, um, we over... Um, the first six months of the year have continued to, to bring down the, the cash levels as we have seen opportunity, individual investment opportunities. Um, we, you know, as, as COVID hit, we took the cash levels up with the uncertainty around how um, the situation was going to evolve. We then saw the significant amount of fiscal um, and monetary stimulus put into the system and took a view that actually, you know, we, we, you know that the the enormous cratering in terms of GDP, we could recover relatively quickly and 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 started hunting for ideas um, as I sort of ran through earlier in terms of and the different phases we went through there. So we've continued to to bring down the cash. Um, it's sitting uh, as of last night at three point four percent. And 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 I'd, and I'd say as a general. Um, comment. We're not we're not struggling to to find individual ideas. Um, we 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 are seeing various opportunities across across the market, um, and and hence why the the cash level is is at that level. Geez, geez, we should be we should be raising some more money there. <laughs> more opportunities. Well, well, Jeff, we have had a few questions uh, on that front in terms of um, capital capital structure. So, uh, Stephen and Edgar and, and some others. Um, I'll just read Stephen's. It's great to see yeah. the discount closing and the increased dividend. Thank you, Chris McCoe's LIC, which is goes well ticker MFF. Recently, did a free option issue to all shareholders to reward them, and the options are trading at twenty seven cents. Would Wham Global? Look at doing something similar. I mean, the, the simple answer is yes. It's you know the board is consistently you know, looking at uh, um, you know what we should do to reward shareholders. It was to me, it was it surprised me how how well that option has performed. As you said, it was I think the share price was two dollars sixty two when they announced it at two dollars sixty, um, and yeah, the the options. Yeah, you know, effectively a free option is now worth twenty-seven cents. Yeah, with the stock price around still where they issued it, so it's it's something that we we would look at. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, the boards you know, will be talking early next week, and I'll definitely put it on the agenda. Like it, it it's on the agenda now. You know, I think because of you know where the share price is, and it's a. Uh, it's, it's really a very, to me, it's a nice way of rewarding shareholders. Um, and if any shareholders, you know, because your company have any feedback, you know, please you know, email in or, or um, you know, send through your thoughts. But it's it's a nice way of rewarding shareholders. And, I mean, effectively how it works is you know, if, if you have an option issue, then it's given to all shareholders for free um, and then they have a choice, you know, like hypothetically with MFF, if you're given a free option, you can either keep that and then if the share price continues to perform, 
you know, usually they run for a year and a half to two years, uh, then you can exercise that option and put more money into the company if they perform. Um, or, or you can decide to, you know, at the moment with MFF, you can cash out and, you know, for your free option, you can pick up 27 cents. So, um, yeah, so to me, it's it's a, a, a nice way of um, you know, doing a massive buy right on behalf of all shareholders. Thanks very much, Jeff. And we'll stay with you for the next question. This is from Gary. Very pleased with the total shareholder return of just over 30% in the half year. That doesn't account for the franking attached to the dividends. How is WAM Global able to pay out frank dividends? Yeah. Um, and look, thanks for the question, uh, Gary. In, in terms of how WAM Global pays out frank dividends is... WAM Global is like any uh, Australian, sorry, Australian company, and and even though we invest overseas, when we make profit, we pay tax in Australia, and it's the tax in Australia that gives us the franking credits. Um, that with say, you know, WAM Capital, WAM Leaders, you know, that invest in Australian companies. Again, any profit they make, they pay tax, and that gives them franking credits, but also any dividends they receive from other Australian companies are fully franked, um, and that gives them you know, some more franking credits. So WAM Global still gets franking credits from paying tax in Australia and can pay fully frank dividends. Uh, and at the moment, you know, I mean, the plan for WAM Global is to you know, continue to grow the dividend over time. Um, and, and you look for us, it's good to look at the profit reserve, the size of the profit reserve, because then that gives you an idea of to pay a fully frank dividend, you need, first of all, a profit reserve, and then you need the franking. Um, and WAM Global will get the franking over time as it makes money and pays tax in Australia. Thanks very much, Jeff. Um, next question is for Nick, and it's from Sam. What are your thoughts on recent market volatility in the US? Specifically, can we get your views on the GameStop saga? Yeah, thanks, Sam. A absolutely. Um, so, like everyone, like a lot of people, we're following this very closely, and, and we're we're talking about it quite a lot internally um, because it it is extremely interesting what's been happening um, in GameStop and AMC. Uh, I suppose as a, a first point, it's worth noting that we don't hold a position in, in any of these names. Um, and when you when you kind of look at the valuation of GameStop at, at 15 times its pre-COVID levels, it's hard to justify it on fundamentals. It's it's really into the speculative world of of, in, of investing. Um, yeah, and and so it's also hard to predict whether it will kind of get a second wind and, and kind of short squeeze up from here. Um, the other guys, the other Katrina and Will might have some thoughts as well. But um, I think some of the things that have changed in the market is is for hedge funds, not for us, but for hedge funds, um, shorting stocks that are consensus shorts is is probably not the the easy idea that it used to be. And hedge funds often have quite a lot of leverage in the vehicles, and we saw some some pretty dire numbers coming out of of some of those funds um, in January which reflects the fact that if you've levered up uh, your assets, movements impact you more. Um, 
you know, to the downside is, is what you would particularly notice. So, so those aren't issues that affect us. But I think it, it, it has partially changed the investing game. Um, at the same time, it, you know, it's kind of a sideshow to, to what we do, which is, is the undervalued growth companies and, and continuing to put in the work as, as fundamental investors. But yeah, what do you think, Katrina? Yeah, look, I think uh, agree with agree with all your points. I, I think it has been fascinating watching, you know, the power of social media and 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 the ability to combine as as retail investors like you wouldn't have been do- able to do he- historically. Um, you know, the, my skeptically, I I think you know potentially it's not just retail though that's been on on the on the same, um, you know. It, uh, causing the short squeeze. I think there's probably been hedge funds as well jumping in on the side. So there's, there's been as many hedge funds on one side as the other, as well as the retail the retail investors. Um, but it is, yeah, I think it's been extraordinary in terms of the the uh, the ability to amass um, like you wouldn't have been able to do, you know, 20, 20 years ago. Um, but ultimately fundamentals will will win out and, and uh the shorts, you know, shorts will actually will end up unwinding positions, and we'll we'll get back to to normality. And and in terms of the the market, more the more generally, um, you know, GameStop was quite unique in some ways in that it was 110% shorted, so um, very high levels of of, of short. Um, interest relative to, to other stocks in the market, um, so the ability to do what they've done is is was you know higher. Um, but look, saying that, I think uh, we'll we'll it'll it'll all um, it, it will end up you know unwinding all these positions in the short term. Um, you know, over the, when we look at longer term, we think you know it'll come out in the wash. But there will be some. Uh, hedge funds that potentially are under, as we've seen from Melbourne Capital, that, that are under a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, to me, my view is I think it's very exciting. Uh, it's great. It's, it's, it's another twist to the market. Uh, I mean, the market's always unpredictable, and this is another part. It, it, it provides opportunities. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the great thing is we've got a process, as Katrina said, so we don't get caught up with these, but, but for us, it can potentially you know, provide opportunities. It, it, and it, you know, when you were just talking about you know, how they went after the stock because it's more than 100% shorted, it reminds me, you know, I'm sure there'll be a few people on the call with a bit of grey hair. Well, I used to have grey hair, or a little bit of it. Um, and uh, the old bunker hunts, you know, when they, um, you know, when they you know, tried to corner the silver market. And they got caught out. So, um, so it's not as if it's new. Yeah, you know, people getting, you know, trying to trying to go one way on a trade and getting caught out. And uh, you know, so, to me, it's it just it just adds to the rich tapestry of the market, and that's what you want. You want the market to be uh, a surprising uh, and something. You know, it's great if it can be something new every day. So, that's my thoughts, James. Thanks very much, everyone. So the next question is from Janet, and it's for, for you, Will. What are your thoughts on Tencent? Yeah, great. Um, thanks for the question, Janet. Um, so Tencent is, we, we hold Tencent in the portfolio. It's one of the largest tech companies listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. We think it's a great way um, to play on the Chinese consumer, and everyone knows the Chinese market is growing at a far superior rate than global GDP. So. Our investment thesis for Tencent is really based on the fact that they have a really attractive portfolio of assets aligned to high growth categories. So 
if we break down the business, if we look at their social media platform, Weixin and WeChat, I combine, I think they have over a billion mobile active users on the platform. And we still think that that platform is under monetized. They can increase ad loading into that platform and that provides a significant runway for top line growth going forward. Anyone who's been following reporting season, as I have, um, you would have seen digital advertising remains a really attractive space still. Alphabet reported some really good results last night, and um, we, we think digital advertising is a great space to be in as well. The other part of the business is its online games platform, and they're the number one player there. So as Katrina mentioned earlier, we're quite constructive on the gaming space, and Tencent is just another way to play that thematic um, they have a great competitive advantage. They're the largest player. They have the most talent. They have the best engineers. And we think the market is still quite fragmented and Tencent will be one of the winners as they consolidate share. And then finally, they have some great optionality in some of the other businesses. So they're the number two player in cloud behind Alibaba and they're the number one player in mobile payments. And they're still in its infancy stages. So we still think the growth outlook is still highly attractive for Tencent and we, we think it's a great position to have in the portfolio. Excellent. Thanks, Will. Katrina, the quest, next question for you is from Rajiv. Is the portfolio hedged? Thanks, Rajiv. Um, so in terms of um, the portfolio, it's unhedged. Um, when we did um, the IPO of, of WAM Global, uh, we spent a lot of time talking to shareholders and uh figuring out what they wanted from a global product. And, and the, the feedback was certainly that they were very much overweight uh, Aussie stocks and Australian dollars. Uh, and so part of the appeal of investing in WAM Global was to get some diversification, um, some great access to, you know, undervalued growth companies around the world, but also at the same time to get diversification in terms of the currencies they, they had in their portfolio. Um, so, no, the portfolio um, is unhedged. Uh, and, 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 and if we think, if I think through in terms of the actual, when, when I think about FX, uh, I mean, we spend our time um, really trying to find amazing businesses that we think have really great prospects over, over the uh, longer term. Um, we obviously have to consider currency, but, but it's, not, it's not where we focus our time. We did benefit from um, in the, the latter half, the, well, the first six months of, of the year to uh, 31 December from our decision to um, uh, invest in, in many more European businesses um, and, and take money out of the US. Um, but that was really because we found such exciting individual stocks rather than a, a pure view on a pure, pure view on currency. Thanks, Katrina. We'll ask two more from the webinar set before we move to the telephone question. So for those on the line, though there are quite uh, a few less of you than, than there are on the webinar, um, if you can stand ready as we'll open the lines shortly. Next question for Nick. How are you seeing valuations in the market? That's from Peter. Yeah, that's a that's a always a very good question, Peter. Um, so we do spend a lot of time uh, both internally, you know, and on this call talking about individual names and being bottoms up investors and making sure that um, we're buying these these high, well managed, high quality, undervalued growth companies. Um, but it's also important for us to make sure that. Uh, when we look at the portfolio as a whole, it, it's an attractive um, combination of stocks that, that we think um, should outperform the market. So valuations in the market in general are 
somewhat high, but but not excessively high. There are parts of the market that are really quite stretched, um, but overall it, it's kind of high, but not excessively high. What we like is when we look at that portfolio on a kind of blended basis, we think we've assembled a, a list of companies that not only are they better companies than, than the market, they're set to grow faster and they trade cheaper by about a, a 10% discount. So yeah, yeah, we're very constructive on the companies that we have in the fund today and, and we're very optimistic looking forward. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Jeff, the next question's for you and it's from Phil. When will yep. shareholders get the benefit from the scaling efficiency in the Wilson Group and see a reduction in the 1% management fee across the funds? Look, hey, good question, Phil, and thanks for that. The, um, I suppose you look at other fund managers, our, say, competitors in the funds managed game, Magellan, are now ma managing over $100 billion. Um, I actually don't think they've changed their fee since they started, still 1.35 and a 15% performance fee. Um, the, the, our logic, you know, when, when we raised the various the money for the various entities um, you know, in the prospectuses, we said what the what the fees will be, uh, and that's you know the management fee and then the um, performance fee and the the logic of the performance fee is that's over you know over the all odds, so we're effectively splitting splitting the benefit. So we actually don't have any plans in reducing it. You know, as we grow, it actually allows us to you know, employ more people. I suppose about know, 20 odd years ago it was me, um, and we had a very small amount of fun. Now, now you know, the fund's significantly larger, and we've got you know, 40 people, and I think our, our plan is to you know, be close to 50 people um, over the next six to 12 months. Um, so, yeah, we don't have any plans on, on doing that. Thanks very much, Jeff. We'll now open the line. While we're Shut waiting up. for the technical support to set that up, we'll just go to one more question for you, Katrina. This is from Mark. What is your view on the potential equity market impact caused by tension with China? Yeah, thanks. Look, thanks for the question. Um, uh, the the tension with with China's obviously um, been an interesting one over the last couple of years. Uh, initially, you know, it, we've we've had Trump obviously battling with battling China with trade wars, etc. We've also had in more recent times issues um, with Australian goods and you know companies such as Treasury Wine, etc. Getting getting caught up there. Um, so and and what we did see in the back half. Um, of last year, of last year was um, some more announcements around Chinese tech companies and bans into the US, etc. Uh, at that point, the Chinese market did start to underperform. But when we take a step back, the Chinese market had had, had an incredible year, um, well outperforming um, actually even the, the the US market as they recovered very quickly out of out of COVID. Um, we think you look in terms of tension with China. There are individual stocks that will, uh, you know, be in the firing line, in, as, a, as I mentioned in Australia, whether that's, whether that's Treasury or, you know, where there's been infant formula stocks that have got caught up with, with, with regulatory changes, etc. Um, but what we try to focus on really is finding 
kind of undervalued growth companies. We aren't. We we think about the macro. We think about what stocks you know potentially will get caught up in that. And we did do some um, very early on when the portfolio launched when we launched the fund. Uh, and the trade wars started. We did adjust uh, the portfolio um, based on, you know, how we thought trade wars were were going to affect uh, individual stocks. We had, um, I'd say, taking a step back again, when we look at Biden versus Trump, we think, you know, we're hoping that actually um, tensions with China will will ease. Although we do have two superpowers that are still. You know, vying for for dominance in in many industries across the across the world. So, look, we think about it in terms of uh, the individual stocks, and we do, but we do think incrementally um, the backdrop is getting more positive, um, particularly with I mean, in reference to to the US um, with Australia, that that's still yet to be seen. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a phone, please make sure your mute, your, fun your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. A voice prompt on the phone line will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, press star one to ask a question. And we have a caller in line that have a question. Please go ahead. Oh, yes, it's Simon. Um, I'm just wondering, that given we're in a very speculative sort of environment with these short squeezes, the SPACs in the States, uh, various other retail investors getting all pulled up, does anybody else feel that there's a, the sound of a bell ringing or are you perfectly happy uh, with what's going on? Hi, hi, it's funny you say that. Katrina can say that, but hey, Simon, there's no doubt. There's a lot of bells ringing in. About four months ago, um, I, I had the electrician over. He usually comes to my place with his son, who's an electrician as well, but he was on another job. And I, I said, oh, where's your son? And he said, oh, oh, he's on another job, but he plays the market now. He's making 50 to 100 bucks yeah, a day. And then oh, a few months ago, I, I do a bit of cycling and I was, I was riding and one of the guys I was cycling, we were talking about the market. And he said, yeah, my son, he's 28, he's lost his job, but he's just punting the market. So uh, un unfortunately, all these people that think the market just goes up forever, um, you know, they've got to learn. And, and what I was always taught, you know, when I started in the market in the early 80s, that you actually make your money in your second bull market. You know, you actually, you learn your lessons in the first bull market. Um, so all those people entering the market now, there's, there's going to be some pain on the other side. So... I mean, the tough thing is to work out when that exactly is. Like, Simon, you're around, you're around in 87. Yeah, from the start of 87 to the end of 87 in the US, even though the market fell you know, the other day of the crash in the US, 25%, um, and, and, and it was, you know, and October was a tough month that year, but from the start to the end, I think the acume in the US was still up 8%, you know, with a crash in the end. And um, so to me, it's, the hard part, even though it sounds like a lot of bells are ringing, and I'll, I'll go to Katrina, um, who's obviously a lot closer to it. Um, as investors, you don't want to come out of the market too early because, you know, value, you know we've seen markets and you know, they can get significantly overvalued, particularly when you're borrowing at virtually zero, you know, your cost of borrowing. So, Katrina, 
yeah, just in terms of any any many bells ringing you hearing. Yeah, look, I, I mean, we all have, we talk about like, we've all got friends who have never even considered looking at the stock market, exactly as you're saying, who are, who are discussing um, Reddit and, and Robinhood, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of people looking at equity markets and saying, oh, there are opportunities. Um, but, but as you say, there'll be a lot of people that lose out significantly as, as things un unwind, particularly in the, in the example of stock, stocks like GameStop, et cetera. Um, but I guess it's it's where you're investing, and 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 look, we've seen you know we've seen the share price, the, the Teslas, the Palantirs, the Snowflakes, the, the the many IPOs that are coming on at twenty plus times EV to sales multiples, etc. Um, and but that's just not where we play. So look, we think there will be you know at some point you know there will be some carnage in particular parts uh, particular parts of the market um, but that's just not the kind of stocks that we that we invest in um, we can still and and we think a lot of the the quality names that actually still stack up in terms of valuation are kind of getting ignored at the moment because of a lot of these high flyers um, and it will be very interesting as um, you know rates event you know eventually start to rise um, and and you know a lot of the, these are duration assets and and tech stocks with no earnings you know it'll be interesting to see how they trade when the 10 year starts uh, starts you know moving up and discount rates getting start getting um, run through valuations but that's not you know that's not where we play we're, we're finding you know really exciting undervalued growth companies around the world and 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 still continue to be able to find those Thanks very much, Jeff and, and Katrina. And as we have no more questions on the telephone line and we've just reached time, I'd like to thank every shareholder for their participation in today's webinar. Uh, we've had a, a large number join us and uh, I think we'll all agree it was excellent um, hearing from, from the investment team. So I'll hand to you, Jeff, for, for final words. Right. Thanks. Oh, and look, thanks. Before I do that, sorry, I'd just like to remind everyone that we have WAM leaders at 11.30am tomorrow, so please register for that. You'll see uh, the details in our weekly email shortly. Right. Thanks, James. And, you know, thanks, Katrina, um, uh, Nick and Will. Um, really fantastic job. And, and look, thanks, everyone, all the WAM Global shareholders that have been uh, with us for a period of time. You know, like it has been a journey. Um, you know, the journey's only only young. Like I think, you know, it, the company's nearly three years old, and um, you know, it's it's yeah, you know, it's it's getting. It has been at a discount. The, the share register is slowly tightening up, and and yeah, you know, I've seen it happen once. I've seen it happen a hundred times before. Um, yeah, you know, if we yeah, you know, as the team are doing, continue to perform and and provide a growing stream of fully frank dividends, um, you know, then. The share price will trade at a premium to NTA, uh, and you know, and that's a, you know the major benefit for current shareholders. You know, the dividends, you know, well and truly intact. You know, good question about you know whether should this should be a, a really sort of a free bonus benefit to shareholders via a, a free option issue. That's you know that's something the board will you know seriously look at, um, or has been seriously looking at as well. Uh, and so look. Again, thank you, um, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again. And, and if you have any questions, please feel free to um, email email us, call us, um, or contact us. And you know, it's, as it's your company, we'd love to get back to you and give you that information.
Thank you very much.